So as we finished up uh, Matthew uh, last week, Ty finished up and Dave, uh, the last couple of chapters, um, I was looking at uh, the, what we have taught over the years. And believe it or not, Dave, I don't think we've ever taught Romans. And so I went through probably the 30 years uh, of teaching. We taught almost every book in the New Testament. We did not tackle Revelation either. Um, and so... Uh, we've probably left maybe the two most difficult books uh, uh, untouched. We did a lot of Old Testament stuff over the years. So I talked to Ty, and uh, Ty and I are going to uh, uh, teach uh, every other chapter like Dave and I did in the book of Romans. So we're going to do an introduction this morning. Uh, I hope uh, you're familiar with Romans, but um, if you're not, uh, we're going to... uh, endeavor over the next months and probably years to go through this book and to look at um, what the Apostle Paul uh, has written down for us. Today I just want to do an introduction, really not going to get into the text very much at all. Um, The book was written somewhere around 56 AD, it's believed, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. I'll talk more about Paul later uh, as we go through. I think it's important for us, at least in my view, to get an overview of Romans and to get an overview of Paul, be reminded of of Paul uh, himself. Turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We see here um, the opening, Paul, and Paul's other name was what? Saul. Saul, we'll talk about that in a minute here. Paul, notice this, it's interesting, the words here, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and an apostle, I'll talk about that later on, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures. And I'll just stop there for a minute. Notice verse 2, the promise of the gospel was not something new, it was something that Paul reminds the specifically the Jewish readers here, that um, it was something, uh, it just didn't happen all of a sudden, but there was always the gospel in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul says to the Jews, this gospel he promised uh, before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, you should have seen it, you should have known about it. Now turn back to the end of the chapter book, Romans 16, keeping that in mind and look at a couple verses there. which uh, Paul writes in verse uh, Romans 16 at the conclusion of the book, chapter uh, 16, verse 25. Now to him uh, who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. Now look at the next words. Kept secret since the world began. So on one hand, Paul opens the book and says, The gospel, you should have known about it. It was revealed. But on the other hand, he says, it was a mystery hidden in former times. We always had the gospel. It was always there, as it were, uh, from the Old Testament uh, passages. But it was called a mystery. Uh, And uh, Paul says here, um, it's a mystery that was not always revealed. So when would the revelation of the gospel been revealed? not a trick question, but when? 
that when Christ was born, his birth, his death, his living a perfect life, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, certainly that would have been the revelation of the gospel. It was always in the Old Testament. If you look at Matthew, or excuse me, uh, Matthew, if you look at uh, Psalm 22, uh, passages like Isaiah 53, you could see the Old Testament gospel. In fact, when we get to chapter 4, Paul's going to make the point that salvation was always by faith. It was never about works or the keeping of the law. But it is uh, a mystery that was revealed at the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's clear now, uh, and it wasn't. Maybe uh, Paul's term of looking in a mirror darkly, uh, as, as it were, uh, looking through uh, rose-colored glasses in the Old Testament. It wasn't as clear. It was a mystery, but it wasn't a mystery that could not be discovered. Uh, and, but it was revealed when Jesus Christ uh, came to earth. Luther says um, this epistle is, the, is, in truth, the chief part of the New Testament and the purest gospel. You remember Luther was converted in his study of Romans. Uh, it was very instrumental in his uh, ministry and his conversion. But his view of the gospel of Romans is it's the purest gospel, as it were, the highest uh, gospel revelation in New Testament. Uh, uh, any, any questions or thoughts about Becky? I think it's twofold. I think uh, there was always the gospel was to go, Isaiah 60, I believe it is, to the Gentiles, that the Jews were always to be a light unto the Gentiles. Paul makes your point in, what, Ephesians chapter 3, about the mystery was hidden in times past, that the Gentiles would be part of the kingdom of God. But I think in this case here, he's talking about the gospel is revealed at the, at the coming of Jesus Christ. It, it is a mystery, but yet it is that revealed that Jesus would be the Savior. I think there was always a, um, remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus had to take the two disciples there and explain to them from the Old Testament how Jesus would be the Savior. That was not always clear, uh, and, and I think that's what his point is here. So I think both are true. Uh, so, Okay. We don't have time to look into that, but if we go back to the, the parable of the, of the um, older son and the prodigal son, certainly we see your point there about the Jews 
and that this can't be right. It's not fair. Yeah, so, okay. So, yeah, so look for that as we go through as the mystery. Paul is going to open up the gospel here in a way that really no other New Testament writer does. He's going to lay out uh, this thing. This, uh, as I said, the main theme is justification by faith alone. Our soul is in Christ alone by grace alone. So we'll see that theme go all the way through the book. Um, the, um, we also have this wonderful truth that the righteousness by which we are justified comes from God. It is a, um, anybody remember what Luther's term for that was? If you listen to Sproul, he uses it a lot. What they, what's the righteousness called? Yeah, he calls it an alien righteousness outside of himself that God brings this alien righteousness to a man or woman that could never have their own righteousness. So we're going to see that unfold and look for that as we go through uh, the book. So let me talk about the author of the book just a minute. Uh, uh, The um, book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, We met Paul as originally, how did we meet Paul? As who? Saul. And do you know, anybody know what the two different names are? I had, I should know this, but I didn't really realize it. Yeah, Jewish is the Saul and Paul is the Greek. It has nothing to do with Paul's conversion. Uh, Some people think he was called Paul after his conversion, but that's not necessarily true. It's just a Greek and, and Jew. So it would make sense if Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles that they would use his Greek name. And so that's why most often it's, it's, uh, it's referred to as uh, Saul. Turn back a minute um, to Acts chapter 7. I, I just want to review this because I think it's important for us to get a baseline of who this man is to understand this, the magnitude of, of Romans. Um, Acts chapter 7, verse 57. This is Saul. And um, at the stoning of Stephen, this is when we're first introduced to Saul, and they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. This is the Jews and stoned Stephen, and the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So that's our first introduction in the New Testament to this man Saul, probably somewhere around 35, 36 A.D., um, after uh, the death of Christ, and Saul was this uh, man uh, that we saw. Uh, he was uh, named after the Jewish king, Saul, the first king. Yes, Newton? Uh, I don't think Paul ever, re- that we have, Paul never referred to himself as Saul, only as Paul. Yeah, he does, right. But But, but there's no transition like from that where it says you are now be called Paul instead of Saul. That is all my point was. Because he was mainly in, uh, ministering to the Gentiles at that point, uh, even in his, uh, for the main part of his life. So, yeah, but we're talking about the same person. Uh, he was named after Israel's first king. Uh, he was also a uh, member of the tribe of Benjamin uh, that, uh, as uh, Saul. Uh, he was born in the city of Tarsus, about 700 miles north of Jerusalem in what today is modern Turkey. Remember on Paul's mission trips, where did he spend a lot of his time? In that area, right? Which explains things uh, as he went into Macedonia. 
eventually. Um, Tar, uh, 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 Tarsus, according to MacArthur, was the center of Greek learning culture. There was a university there, so it's reasonable to assume that he was well-educated and that he was, uh, which comes out as he writes his book of Romans, the education he has not only of the Greeks and the Romans, but also of the culture and the gospel. Uh, for some reason, he came to Jerusalem, and um, he was trained in Acts chapter 22 by the rabbi Gamaliel, which was um, at the time probably the premier teacher of the law uh, in Jerusalem. Turn to Acts chapter 22 a minute with me. Uh, notice a couple passages here that are interesting. Acts 22, um, verse 22 through 29. And they listened to him, this is Paul, until, uh, until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow uh, from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out, and tore their clothes, this is the Jews, and threw dust in the air. The commander ordered them, this is the Roman commander, to be brought into the barracks and said he should be examined under scourging. So they were going to scourge Paul, uh, the Romans were, so that he might know why they shouted against him. And as they bound him with thongs, and Paul said to the centurion who stood by, listen, is it all for you to scourge a man who is a Roman under condemnation? So not only was he a Jew... And he was well-educated, probably in the Greek uh, teachings in Taurus, uh, but he was also a uh, Roman citizen. Notice this is interesting. And the centurion heard that. He went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do with this man as a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me you are a Roman. He said, I am. Notice the commander here. And he said, um, With a large sum of money, did you attain your citizenship? Who'd you pay off, Paul? What did you buy your citizenship? How did you become a Roman citizen? This isn't, this isn't uh, right. And Paul says, I was born a citizen of, of Rome. So not only was he a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, but he was a Roman citizen, and um, he was uh, also, um, uh, in verse 29, immediately those who examined him withdrew from him, and the commander also was afraid after he found out he was a Roman citizen, and they let him go. Uh, if you look um, at, across the page, Acts chapter 23, verse 6, uh, notice some more about Paul, uh, Paul's own story. But when Paul perceived that this one part of the Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, remember, they were arguing. Notice what he said. He cried out with the, into the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee. So at some point he became a Pharisee. It's believed that you had to be about 30 years old to become a Pharisee. So Paul was probably in his early 30s at this point. But notice what he says. I am a Pharisee and also the son of a Pharisee. So Paul was steeped in, in the law of, of, of the Old Testament. And that's going to come out as we go through Romans. Keep in mind, Paul was well-educated probably in the university, but he was also well-educated in Jewish law and Jewish custom and, and in Jewish Old Testament. And as we get into Romans, we'll see that plays out, especially in Romans 4, when he goes back to the Old Testament and explains how salvation is by faith, and it always was by faith as we go through here. So he's a, uh, 
He's well-educated. He's a Jew. He's a Roman citizen. Um, Turn to Acts 18. This guy was quite an interesting character. Um, Acts 18, verse 3. Uh, Keep this in mind because these names will come up in the book of Romans. Um, Let me just start with Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born to Pontius, who had recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla because of Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was the same trade, he stayed with them and worked occupation, and they were tent makers. So not only was Paul well-educated, probably in a university, he was educated by Gamaliel in Jewish law, but he was also a tradesman. He had, he could, uh, so how does that help Paul in the future? He can support himself, right? Yeah, I read several commentaries this week that suggested that pastors or other people in the gospel learn a trade so that they can do. I know Daniel knows how to repair the engines on the plane. And so uh, it's, uh, if you have to, uh, you can support yourself. And, of course, Paul did that uh, in, as well. Uh, in Philippians 3, 5, uh, 5 and 6, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, he was a fierce man, a hater of the church. Acts chapter 1, he was breathing out fire. Yes? Uh, he did call himself, as you said, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Does he ever call himself a Jew? Um, he talks about being circumcised the eighth day. Um, Oh, the term itself? Yes, I, 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 can't, I can't answer that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm using the word Jew as in the general sense of the Jewish people. Um, yeah, yes, he would have. And that's what he says in Philippians. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, went through all the law, kept the law, became a Pharisee. He would have had to be of Jewish descent, obviously, to be a Pharisee, but if, did he call himself a Jew? I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to look that up later. Um, any other thoughts? So we get an idea of who this man is, what he's doing. Uh, he was certainly, we remember, I won't go through it, but Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, what we would call a miraculous conversion. Not that all conversions aren't miraculous because we're dead in trespasses and sin and we're brought alive. But in Paul's case, it was a very unusual, uh, amazing, uh, as it were. Here's a man that hated the church, was there when Stephen was uh, uh, murdered, was on his way to murder more in Damascus, and God uh, saves him. Uh, Galatians 1, uh, chapter 1 I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, Paul, after his conversion, he went into the city and he, met, he began to preach the gospel. But then there was in Galatians uh, chapter 1, Paul makes reference to this. He says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't go with the other apostles and and learn the gospel. But he says, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned to 
Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter remain there for 15 days. So there was this period after his conversion where he went to God's Bible school, as it were, in the Arabian Desert. And that apparently is where he learned the gospel, maybe things that were revealed to him that were never revealed to other apostles. So he went to this, probably the university. He was schooled by Gamaliel and then schooled for three years, as it were, by God himself in the Arabian Desert. So a well-educated man, uh, but also one that could support himself uh, if he needed to. So um, uh, after writing, uh, becoming a believer, Paul wrote 12 books of the New Testament. And if you count Hebrews, which I don't, but if some do, it would add another book to the New Testament. Uh, his believed he died as a martyr around 50 or 65, 66 A.D. Uh, is the tradition. Yes? And that happened early on that many preachers would go out. Um, uh, when Carey uh, became a missionary, he took another man with him, and they built this big farm, and they were able to support themselves. Um, now, they did get some help, obviously, from uh, the Baptist Association there in London, but they basically were able to support themselves and pay for it. Um, certainly, that is... Um, something we can learn. Just see the big picture of Paul. He's not just, we just see him sometime. This is a, a well-educated man, but he's also a hard worker. We'll talk about that as we go through here. Uh, second, we talk about the church at Rome. What do we know about the church? Um, Paul did not start the church at Rome. Who else didn't start the church at Rome? Peter, right? <laughs> Peter didn't start the church at Rome either. Uh, we're not sure really too much about it. Um, the um, if you look at Roman or excuse me, back to Romans 16, we had run into Priscilla and Aquila before, and here they are uh, end up. They were in Corinth with Paul, and they end up here in Rome. Uh, 16:3, Paul says, "Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ." who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church in their house. So Priscilla and Aquila had somehow ended up in Rome, and the church, must have been a small church, was meeting in their home. So it wasn't this big, massive church that Paul's writing to, um, but it, it, is, uh, it, is, it is there. Um, so how did the church of Rome get started? Anybody know? I didn't know until I looked this week, but here's the theory. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. Um, Paul never went there on a missionary trip and established a church like he did in Ephesus and, and Colossae and Th- Thessalonica. Turn back to Acts 2, and this is where most commentators think that the church um, was established. Uh, the uh, If you look at let me see, Acts 2, look at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, a devout man of every nation. 
under heaven. And when the sounds of this occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these Galileans? How is it that they hear each in our own language which are born here? So remember the day of Pentecost. By the way, at the end of Acts, or the end of Matthew, where were the disciples? They were in Galilee, remember? They were 70 miles, probably 100 miles away from Jerusalem. Here, when we open the book of Acts, we find them back in Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost. But notice here in verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pygia, uh, Pamea, uh, Egypt, and parts of Libya. Uh, and they were joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Isn't that interesting? Visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselytes. So most commentators, many commentators, think that the church at Rome was actually started at Pentecost, and the believers moved back to Rome uh, as they heard the gospel. Uh, And so um, we see in uh, we see that in Romans one that the gospel uh, came uh, to the Gentiles. But it really doesn't say how it got there. But we can assume that probably at Pentecost, some of the men went back. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, that's right. The point, right? Yeah. Right. They would not have been, but they would have been Jews, not ethnic. Yeah. So. Um, Anyway, and then the the book itself, uh, Paul's the author. We're told that in Acts chapter 16, 22. Uh, uh, Tertus uh, is also uh, called out there. He was Paul's secretary, so Paul didn't necessarily write the book by himself. Uh, Remember Galatians, Paul says, look what large hand I've written to you. And Romans, he probably had a secretary, and he dictated it, as it were, to them, to this man, and he sent it. Uh, most people, if you look at 16.1, uh, there's a lady here named Phoebe. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant in the church, a censoria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and his sister in whatever business she needs of you. For indeed, she has been a helper to many and myself. Phoebe was apparently in Corinth where the book was written. Many commentators think that Phoebe was that delivered the book of Rome, of Romans to the Roman church. And so she's called out here as a fellow. Uh, Romans 16, 1 and uh, 2. Yes. It doesn't name her? Okay. It's Phoebe. Yes. All right. Um, the book is separated like Ephesians. Uh, first, remember Ephesians is separated, first three chapters and the last three. Romans is similar, uh, the first 11 chapters, what we would call theological truth. And then, then uh, chapters 12 through 16 is what uh, is practical implications of the gospel. Now that you know the gospel, much like Ephesians, here's the gospel, you know it. What is, how do you live out your life? How do you live out as a believer in Christ? The Romans would have certainly needed that, right? They would have needed this practical application because they really hadn't 
received any instruction. No apostle had been there. Nobody had ever uh, been able to explain them. Uh, Paul wrote Romans, as I said, from Corinth. Probably he was on his third missionary trip in maybe 56, 57 A.D. Um, he uses the phrase, the just shall live by faith, which he uses three times in the New Testament. It's a quote from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, and he, and he builds himself on that theme. So we talk about salvation by grace alone, but look at the theme. It's the just shall live by faith. And that's really where Luther came to Christ and understanding that justification was by faith alone in Christ alone. Uh, the book is not without controversy. Um, it has, uh, even in our day, come under attack. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 1. You, you should be familiar with this, Romans 1, chapter 20, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passion for even their women exchanged the natural use. For what is against nature, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their errors, which was due. In our own day, this book has really come under fire, especially this passage, and there's been all kinds of crazy explanations of what Paul is talking about, but really it's talking about this homosexuality, and you can cut it any way you want, but this is what it is. Um, I read one explanation from supposedly a theologian who said Paul was talking to the heterosexuals here who had become homosexuals. He's really not condemning those that were born homosexuals. He's condemning the heterosexuals who become homosexuals. Very interesting. You really have to do some gymnastics to, uh, to get around it. So the book has a lot, it has some controversy. Um, we have universal condemnation of all men and women in Romans 3.23. All have sinned. Paul makes it clear that it's not just the Jews, but it's the Gentiles. There's no person outside of the fall of Adam. Of course, in Romans chapter 5, um, let me turn there a minute. This has become a very controversial verse. Therefore, just as one man sin entered the world in death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all had sinned. This is the, uh, the original sin, as we call it. Not every professing church believes that. Uh, this is the fact that Adam was our federal head or our representative. You'll hear that term sometimes. And so whatever Adam did, we would have done the same thing. I think Kevin uses the phrase, we are piggybacked on Adam. Whatever Adam did. And so there's those in the church today that would say, I would have done differently. Well, really? I don't think you would have. But anyway, that, that passage has come under some fire uh, in the uh, in recent years. Um, Dave often says we don't sin because we are we sin because we're sinners right we don't become sinners we sin because we are sinners we're born sinners Newton
I would say it certainly has escalated itself in the last three to five years, yes. There's always been the doubters, but yes, obviously um, in our own to today, it's, uh, anyway, Ty? There's hard passages, right? And we have to deal with them. We have to deal with them, and Paul deals with them. And uh, it's not just homosexuality in Romans 1, by the way. I just used that as, a, as an expression. But there's other passages that Paul deals with that are personal to us also. But you're right. It does. They condemn themselves by their very own words. So there's a controversy there. Uh, there's the... Um, there's a clear teaching in Romans 8 that if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not a believer. This is certainly contrary to the charismatic and Pentecostal teaching that we've heard for years, that somehow the Spirit is a second blessing, comes upon you. Paul is very clear in Romans 8, if you do not have the Spirit, you are not a believer. Uh, and so then we have uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11, which we will get to. Uh, and all the controversy that goes with the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man in chapter 10, and, of course, depending on your eschatology, the, the, the interpretation of what Paul has in mind with the Jews in chapter 11. And so there's much to learn uh, to, uh, to learn from. Uh, some have called this book the magnum, magnum opus of the New Testament, and I think we'll find that as we go through. Um, our outline that I'll probably start with is just simple introduction, verses 1 through 17, Paul's salutation, personal, and then the main theme is we'll get into chapter 1, verse 16. And the overview, this is uh, chapter 1 through chapter 3 is the wrath of God is revealed. And so Ty will be taking chapter 2, and then I'll come back to chapter 3 as we go through this. Um, I'll just, I got five minutes left. Let me just close with this. Um, Paul himself, I find to be a very interesting man. Um, he calls himself a bondservant, but he's also an apostle. And almost what we would consider a, a slave, Paul says, I'm a slave, but I'm an apostle. Um, uh, he's one, uh, the, the word slave means, it could be mean one who was put under bondage by another or one who willingly submits. I don't know what you say in Paul's case. He was certainly brought to Christ through the, the uh, revelation of Jesus from heaven while you persecuted me, but he was certainly submitted himself to be a bondservant. Um, he, is, uh, he holds his title as apostle, which means sent one. He is, uh, as I said, he wrote uh, 12 books of the New Testament. So he's, he's, a, he's a very unique man. I would call him a man of man, man of men. Uh, I, Paul is, uh, stands out as one. I was trying to think this week uh, about this great apostle Paul. He was a man of men, but he was also a man of humility. And he, he knew both. He was strong physically. He would confront sin 
but yet he was a humble man. Uh, and I, I don't see that. I was trying to think this week about the men that I know, and it, it's a rare characteristic that you have both. Um, <clears throat> just let me wrap up with a couple thoughts. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, those that preach the gospel should be paid, Paul says. No, no doubt about it. We just talked about this. Yet, on one hand, uh, he was a tent maker to help himself. So he knew he was bold, saying, you need to support me. On the other hand, he worked and supported himself. In Second Thessalonians, Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. He was very clear. In our own day, we need to learn that, right? You don't work, you don't eat. But what did Paul do in Second Corinthians? He collected a, a, an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. So he understood what times needed to be bold. He was bold. When he needed to have compassion, he needed compassion. In Galatians, he confronts Peter publicly for being a hypocrite. Yet in the same book, Paul says, If any man be overtaken by a trespass, you are a spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And so he was a very unique man. And I just challenge us all to think about our own lives and to think about Paul as uh, we see that. He was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. Much of his suffering came from the Jews. Um, Yet in Romans chapter 10, Paul says this about the Jews. Uh, He says, brethren, my heart desires and pray for God for Israel is that they may be saved. They tortured him, they beat him, and yet he still prayed for them. Romans chapter 11, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. God has not cast away his people. So we see this very unique man. So um, anyway, I'll close with that. Um, so the, uh, someone has said Paul never lost his love for Jesus Christ, and, and he was always amazed at the gospel. It, all, it stayed forefront that Jesus Christ would come into the world and save sinners, and he would save the chief of sinners, as Paul called himself. And I don't think he ever got over that. So as we look at this book of Romans and we move through this, keep that in mind. The, the history of the book, the history of Paul, the church at Rome, this little struggling church, as it were, and also the man himself. So any, any final co- thoughts or comments? Yeah, Paul, the, the, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being prideful. Uh, you're right. So very unique man. All right, that's all I have. So thank you for your time this morning.